it is time to bring in our first guest and uh, we're absolutely overjoyed to be joined by champagne expert and legend Tyson Stelzer. Good morning to you, Tyson. Good to be back on the show again today. How are you today? Yeah, going very well, mate. And we've got Excellent. Jill up in Queensland as well. How are you doing, Tyson? I'm, I don't have a 100% voice. I'm just winter chill, but um, all good. And it's been an amazing month for champagne. I couldn't be better. Well, I think out of anyone in the wine industry this week, I think you deserve to have a little bit of a croaky voice, Tyson, because it's, <laughs> it's been a pretty massive week for you, hasn't it? Thank you. It's been my biggest week of the year. We had 750 guests at Taste Champagne in Sydney, 850 guests at Taste Champagne Melbourne, our biggest event of the year. And I did a couple of Prosecco events in between too, and then more events in Brisbane this week before I fly to Italy next week to host a tour for a week, followed by two back-to-back tours, and then a week <laughs> following of tastings in Champagne. So it's um, very much Champagne season wow. in my world right now. It's unbelievable. So- yeah. Tyson, may I just uh, say I'm actually off to France on Friday um, oh, cool. to, uh, to spend some time. I won't actually hit uh, the Champagne region this time, but um, mm. I, I, w- I wanted to actually ask you, I'll, of course, I'll be spending uh, the obligatory at least four or five days in Paris first. Do you have mm-hmm. any particularly favourite Champagne caves that I should visit in Paris? In Paris, I tend to do most of my champagne shopping in Champagne, and then I love um, mm. frequenting the restaurants in Paris um, and just happening upon some wonderful little bars and a glass of champagne along the way. And one of my favourites right. is Tabla, Restaurant Tabla, which is two Michelin stars, and yep. they do fabulous things, and they've something different. Um, Gigi is my favourite Italian of all things in Paris. <laughs> okay, okay, that's, that's, that's a good tidbit. I like it. Thank you. Just um, uh, as an aside, (laughs) yeah, I'm a bit jealous there. But uh, as an aside, you know, you just mentioned Italy there. Do you reckon? um, Do you reckon we? Because and I attended your um, Conigliano Valdobbiadene DOCG masterclass this week. It was just outstanding. Well done. But do do you think we sort of under-index a bit on the high-end Italian stuff, Francia Corsa and so forth, in Australia? Absolutely. Um, obviously, in Australia, we have great local sparklings, uh, which I love, and champagne is such an important category for us. And never been bigger. We imported 10.5 million bottles of champagne last year, more than 10 times what it was 20 years ago. Wow. But wow. then between that, I mean, the, the, the challenge in the modern world is that champagne is becoming more popular in more parts of the world, more rare as a result, and more expensive, which creates opportunity for other styles and regions to kind of fill the gap as champagne pushes this glass getting higher. And one of those that's important is, as you mentioned, French Quarter, mm. the traditional method, sparkling wines from the north of Italy, and also um, the differentiation of the key, more premium zones of Prosecco from the, the bog standard fields of oceans of 700 million bottles of standard Prosecco. And of those, Corneliano Valdiviardone is the most important and the best. Yeah, and we tasted uh, what? six or five, six flights the other day of some, some yes. fabulous wines with some great people in the room. What, what is it that makes the Conigliano stuff better than the rest? Let's talk about that. Being a specific zone, in, in a way it's a little bit like the classification system in France and Germany in that there are particular vineyards which are better. And for Prosecco, that means sloped vineyards in higher altitudes with um, more rest- more more regulated system of production. 
such that they are not overcropping and they're not overproducing in a way that so many Prosecco vineyards tend to be these days with production increasing at the rate that it is. And so that means that they're producing wines that are more pure, more fresh, more mineral, and as a result, they don't need so much sugar. And so most of the wines we tasted mm-hmm. the other day were, in fact, either extra brut or brut, which means that they're not the similar levels of sugar to what we know and love in Australian sparkling champagne. And there's a transparency and a beauty to that style. It doesn't lean too heavily on excessive sweetness. In Australia, we're not big fans of sweet wines in general. So for me, that's a refreshing opportunity for Prosecco to premiumise a little bit. Yeah, and yeah. so we're joined by Tyson Stelzi, who's a, 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 as we say, a, a luminary of the industry when it comes to not only sparkling wine but all wine. Um, and, and we're talking about Italy, and then we go into the sort of northeastern region, Veneto. Then we talk about uh, Prosecco, and then we talk about Valdobbiadene, and then we go even further deep dive into Rive and Cartizze. Can you explain what mm-hmm. those two things are? There's an increasing differentiation even within the regions of Italy and for Camelliano, that means that they are separating up individual villages in this zone and there are 43 that they have ascended to a classification that they call Rive, which describes the wines that are only from single vintages, from vineyards that are higher and steeper and more premium and they're, if you like, the kind of Grand Cru status for want of a kind of rough French association for the Proseccos of Camelliano Valde de Ardenay and those ones are slightly more expensive and they just express the minerality and the texture and the complexity of their place better than the standard Camellianos and then within all of those rivets, those villages, yep. there's one in particular which is kind of amplified to the very top level alone and that's called Cartizze and there's a little bit more concentration there, usually a little more sweetness. It doesn't have to be a vintage wine in Cartizze as it does in the Rives but um, those are the wines that are regarded and rightly so as the best of, of what Prosecco can do. Oh, yeah. uh, so do you do you think that the Australian market are uh, beginning to adopt Prosecco more and more now uh, from a price point or quite a few advantages, especially what you're talking about now with them becoming less sweet? Uh, do you think that there's, it is going to fill a lot more and people turn to Prosecco over the more expensive champagnes? Prosecco is a massive category globally and it won't be long until it's a billion bottles in Italy alone. And, of course, mm-hmm. in Australia here, we make fabulous Proseccos too and the King Valley in Victoria, of course, yep. the, the epicentre for that. It's a wonderful classic Italian family doing it so well. If you look at what's happening in other similar markets where we are kind of following trends, like particularly the UK and to some extent the USA, the, the popularity of Prosecco is such that someone was telling me the other day when they go into um, a bar in London now and ask for sparkling. The assumption is that they're asking for Prosecco. It is mm. it is that just all encompassing. So we will see Prosecco continue to grow in Australia. It's obviously a different price point to champagne and offers when it's done well a good alternative, albeit too often not done well in, in Italy, which yeah. of course raises big questions in my mind around why the Italians are uh, having such a go at us at the moment regarding the labelling of Australian Prosecco mm. as Prosecco, when in fact we're making a tiny drop in the ocean compared to their production, and we're doing it really yeah. well. We're not we're not um, attacking their um, brand by doing something that's inferior. 
most of what we're doing in Australia is, is actually a world away from yeah. the the standard bulk production in Italy that leaves a lot to be desired. And so, yeah. unfortunately, they're um, putting themselves out of an ally with this this massive trade debacle that's going with the Australian government right now. Yeah, and I it think... does seem like a bit of a, a storm in a teacup kind of kind of style. Absolutely. But just very, yeah. very quickly before we before we move away, you just mentioned uh, mm. in, in the UK. I'm really fascinated to hear your take on the um, on the on the English sparklings now because mm-hmm. you know, what I'm, I'm speaking to so many people about them and look, the the few that I've had, I think are actually they're very good. But I just can't believe the price point. Like I really can't believe they're asking the same amount as you know some vintage champagnes and. I'm just surprised. What's uh, what's your take on that? The UK has three massive advantages with sparkling that no one else in the world has to quite the same extent. The first one is that they're the only place outside of mainland Europe that has the same chalk of the Parisian basin that Champagne enjoys. So there's a, a terroir link there with the great sparkling wines of Champagne. The second one is that the Brits are very parochial and they've got an enormous market on their doorstep. And the third one, as a result of that, is that that generates tremendous investment. So there's a huge amount of money being poured into that um, region of, of southern England, and not least, too, by some of the top champagne houses, which is another declaration of potential and quality and opportunity. So the English sparklings are excellent, and there's potential for them to be some of the greatest sparklings in the world outside of champagne itself. With a few exceptions, I don't think they're there yet. And I think there's a lot more that they can learn about viticulture and a lot more maturity that can be brought into the area, not only through vine age, but through winemaking experience and making wines that are true to that terroir, which is different to Champagne and Australia, of course. And Mm -hmm. as a result of that, while there are some good wines being produced, like you, I don't think we've yet seen the same quality that we're seeing out of Champagne. Maybe that will happen one day, but in the meantime... They're very much champagne prices. And in Australia, we're in a way a bit insulated from that because we drink a lot of champagne, we drink a lot of Australian sparkling, a lot of Prosecco. There's really only a handful of English sparkling wines that even get to our shelves in some of the more esoteric independent bottle shops. So we don't see a lot of them, but it's certainly a category to watch carefully. Yeah, to yeah, sure. watch this space for sure. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, let's just talk a little bit about the state of champagne in, in Australia. It's, I mean, obviously... It's interesting, uh, I think the US and the UK are the biggest sort of importers of champagne and then like Japan. But Australia, we sort of over-index a little bit on that too, don't we? The popularity in Australia is unprecedented in the world outside of mainland Europe. And while the UK and the US are obviously the biggest export markets and Japan is bigger than us too, if you wind it back to consumption of champagne per head of population, there is one country in the world that is lapping all others apart from the strongholds of France, Germany, Italy um, and um, Belgium, the, kind of the, the countries around France itself. Um, and that is Australia, of course. And we are, as I mentioned before, beating all records, smashing all records in 10.5 million bottles last year off the back of a, a huge year the year before in the wake of the pandemic. And not just increases in volume either. I mean, Australia has notoriously been a country that has had um, a massive over-reliance on entry-level, non-vintage, big-house, discount, supermarket champagne at the expense of the interesting categories like prestige, vintage, growers, rosé, cooperatives and such. 
and that's changing too because our volume went up by 6% last year. The value went up by 18%, and we're seeing new records in terms of the way in which we are more embracing all of those categories, prestige, vintage, rosé, growers, cooperatives, more um, interesting and more premium cuvées. So there is a maturation in this market in the same way that there's been in the US and the UK in the years past, and that's a really exciting thing for the future of a champagne in Australia. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I've just had a message come through, Tyson, from one of our great listeners, Christopher, who mm-hmm. went he went to taste champagne on Tuesday night oh. as a punter, and he says mm-hmm. his standouts were the Dirts uh, 2015 and mm-hmm. the Forest Marie Cuvée Saint-Crispin non-vintage. It's so good to have people like Christopher able to experience some really exciting wines at taste champagne. As I mentioned, we had... Uh, 1,600 people across West Sydney and Melbourne events in the last two weeks. And I love Christmas picks there. Dirt is a house that I love. It's one of my top 20 houses. And yet it's one that we don't see a lot of in Australia. They've thankfully changed importers in the last few years, so we are seeing a bit more of them now. And to me, that's a house that sits alongside the likes of Paul Roger and Bucar as a champagne that's really expressive of elegance and subtlety and beauty love the way he singled that out mm. as a chance to discover a house that a lot of people a lot of people won't know about. And then even more so, his other choice of Forêt Marier is a beautiful contrast to that because Forêt Marier is a tiny family producer north of Rams who I visited for the first time a couple of years ago. And they are brought into Australia by um, perhaps surprisingly the winery at Torbrek in the oh, Barossa Valley. Right. And the link there is that Marie Fourier, the daughter of the family who's working in the business, actually did vintage with Torbeck some years ago. Nice. So they've got a beautiful connection there. They discovered her wines, of course, as a result of that. So they've become the exclusive importer and started to bring in a whole range of beautifully crafted, very small production, tiny family, unique little estate, which is um, the beautiful contrast of champagne alongside the, the might and the magnitude of the houses mm. and I love the way it tastes champagne that we can put two houses like that next to each other yeah. and have guests compare them and say I love what the big houses are doing I love what the small growers are doing and to me that's the beauty of the diversity of champagne that it's not just about one category but about mm. celebrating the small and the large together in the way that they do in the region even though globally there's this mentality that Somehow the growers are against the houses and the houses industrial and evil. Yeah. Um, I don't see that reality at all. We like to celebrate them alongside each other. Yeah. Oh, look, I was having lunch with Benoit Guez about two months ago, and yeah. you know, we had the no, same. Himself. Yeah, we right had now. the same conversation, and yeah. I, I must say that uh, stylistically, I think they've never been better. Those wines coming out of Moët Chandon, and the other interesting thing that he. Yeah, well, the, I think the do, he's bringing the dosage down, isn't he? But the quality yeah, is there. And then, yeah. he, interestingly, he referred to bottles as half magnums. I thought that was pretty interesting. In taking it here with other chefs because in Champagne, the quality and the freshness and the precision of wine out of magnum compared to the same wine out of bottle always astonishes me. And we we look at those wines and like, gosh. So you can always drink out of magnum to the point where you have to joke that you have magnums and, and half magnums. Yeah, I love that. I'm actually beginning to hear a lot of people call it the half magnum. <laughs> it um, was Tyson, another one is um, I have to say, I'm quite a big fan of Carver. 
And it's yep. not something that I see that often, but I love a good mm. carver. What's your, mm. uh, it's, it's, it's not huge over here. Um, what's your take on, on that lovely Spanish? Yeah, yeah get good, yeah. good. What's your take, Tyson? Spanish sparkling is again a huge category in the UK, and the UK loves mm. their sparkling, and perhaps a more, um, if you like, independent market on which to gauge trends because they haven't got the local industry to the same extent and historical precedent that we have here in Australia. In Australia, drinking tends to be Prosecco, Champagne and Australian sparkling, which means that we're really insulated from some of those other categories like um, French Corner, which, as we said, is wonderful, yep. English sparkling, which um, can be fantastic, and Carver as well. The, the advantage that the Spaniards have over most of the sparkling wines of Italy is that they are producing Carver generally by the traditional method and it has the benefit of lees age that goes with that, as, as is the case in Champagne, of course. And so that produces a wine that generally has more depth and complexity and food-matching versatility than the more fruity simplicity of the Galera grape in Prosecco. The, the, um, the Spaniards, too, use different varieties, use native varieties, mostly for Carver compared with the French varieties. So it's got their own stamp and it's really affordable. So like you've rightly pointed out, Jill, it's a great category and one that, I'm excited about, even though we don't mm. see a lot of it here in Australia, but as an affordable yep. alternative, um, mm. it, it sits alongside Prosecco and Australian sparkling as another option. For me, though, I'm if I'm not drinking champagne, I'm drinking Tabby sparkling because yep. I find that the, yeah. the quality and style of the French grapes in a cool climate with, with careful winemaking in Tasmania from grapes that are a fraction of the cost of champagne grapes, and therefore the wines are a fraction of the cost too, is a really exciting category. And, excuse me, ever more exciting as, as the being continues to mature down in Tasmania. Uh, yep. And we've had a couple of interesting producers come on talking about. Now, I'm sure, Tyson, you've heard of Daosa. Have you tried those wines? What do you think of those? Yeah, um, and in fact, the beautiful wines that Daosa, and there's, there's quite a story there, as you know, too, because obviously... The estate is linked with the great Tapanapa estate of mm. Brian Crozer mm. in um, the Adelaide Hills. And Xavier Bizzo, who is Brian's son-in-law, is actually the same Bizzo family who owns Champagne Bollinger of all places. Yeah. So, <laughs> We've had Xavier on a couple of times. Yeah, he's uh, he's <laughs> fabulous. Yeah, he's not uh, he's backwards and coming forwards either. either. No. That's got sparkling running in his veins. And yeah. We've done lots of events together over the years, and not surprisingly, his Daosa is one of the most interesting and one of the most characterful and awarded sparkling wines of South Australia at the moment. It's a fabulous thing. Yeah, well, characterful is a great way they're... to describe that. They're still actually, they're still up there. It's about $80 a bottle, isn't it? So you're still paying what you're paying for a, a bottle of Piper, I guess. But I agree, it's absolutely stunning. But that's um, it's, it's quite a high price point for an Aussie sparkling, wouldn't you say? It is. And there's this whole glass ceiling of champagne pricing around Australian sparkling is an interesting topic because people will look at Aussie sparkling and go, why would I buy that if I could buy champagne for the same price? That's, um, yeah. there, are, there are some affordable champagnes. You mentioned Piper, and that's one of the best examples. Lonson is another one that are absolutely fabulous at a relatively affordable price. But I find that um, because of this, the spending price, so to put this in context, the the average price of Australian wine grapes in the mainland is 70 cents per kilogram. The average price of Tasmanian wine grapes at the moment is about $3.50 a kilogram. 
the average price of champagne grapes in Australian dollars is currently at about $14 a kilogram. Wow. And what God, that, that means <laughs> is that to produce an affordable champagne, the only way to do it is to use all the leftover grapes, the rotten grapes, the pressings that have phenolics in them. And so there are cheap supermarket champagnes out there that um, are under, say, $50, and they are undrinkable because the grapes are dire. Mm. Whereas in Tasmania, you can use your best grapes and still produce a really serious sparkling wine for And at the top end, I'm looking at some of the great wines, particularly Tasmania, but South Australia to some extent too. But these are every bit as good as champagne and in some ways better. And they're not trying to be champagne. It's different soils, different history, different styles, different personalities who make them. And I think these wines absolutely deserve to sell for champagne prices. In some cases, that means three digits uh, because the quality is there. And I don't think we have to necessarily say, okay, because it's not champagne, it shouldn't sell for quite so much. Yeah. And I think uh, we should be celebrating our fabulous homegrown gear. And uh, it's always a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much, Tyson Stelzo. And good luck on your trip. Thank you very much. And lots happening in the champagne world at the moment. I'm in the process Mm. of updating my champagne guide. And I've just launched that as a new website, champagne.guide which has all of my reviews for the last 13 years and a lot of new reviews that are yet to be printed in books. So I look forward to staying more and more in touch with the champagne world through my writing and lots of events coming up next year. Really looking forward to reconnecting with you both over some champagne again sometime soon. Fabulous. Thank you, Tyson Stelzer. Thank you, both. Take care and have a great day. Cheers.